Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. Amen. Oh, hey. <laughs> Thanks, Betty. Thanks, Betty. Right. Can we make some noise for we'll the prophet of the house? Yeah. Bye, dude. <laughs> we love that crazy guy. Can we just make some joyful noise for the mothers one more time? Yeah. All the different types of moms. God bless you. We love you. Um, and then one more for the Davies baby coming. Yeah. 2023. Um, remember, if it's a girl, you know what's up. You get that hundo. That's just for you. If you're new here and you don't know what that's about, the first person to have a female baby in this house, I will give you $100. <laughs> of my own money, okay? <laughs> they want me to increase it like every time somebody has a baby and it's not a girl, they want me to stack another hundo on there and I keep telling them I'm not paying for your kid to go to college. Just the first person to have a girl baby, you get a hundred bucks, okay? Yes, yes? All right, how grateful are we to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Yes, yes, so good. Um, you guys are gonna have to help me a little bit this morning, so you're gonna have to talk back, you're gonna have to laugh at my crummy jokes and just make me feel like I'm doing, like I'm in the pocket, right? Yeah, yeah? All right, cool. Oh, Matthew, Matthew. Okay, so, Kelsey, what week are we? 20. All right, 20. Kelsey is the keeper of the number of weeks that we have been in this series, Fire Upon the Earth. So, week 20, let's go! First off, I just gotta say, hopefully every Sunday you're coming and you're getting rattled, right? You're leaving unsettled, and you're taking that, and you're going home and you're wrestling with that feeling of feeling unsettled. If you're coming here and you've experienced these messages that are literally soul-shaking, and you're going home and continuing just as you were, I don't think you're getting it. Amen? We need to leave this place, and we've got to wrestle with that uncomfortability. We've got to be unsettled and be okay with it. Do you hear me, people? All right, good. Um, this morning, as we continue our study, Fire Upon the Earth, we're going to go through a message that I entitled, Unauthorized Fire, A Study in Obedience. Today, we're going to be looking at three things that impact our obedience. One, culture impacts our obedience, how it impacts our obedience, what we're listening to, who we're listening to, and how that impacts our obedience to God. Two, knowing who God is and how that impacts our obedience. And three, our flesh, mind, will, and emotion, and how that impacts our obedience. You hear me? All right, let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for your presence. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your Holy Spirit. God the Father, thank you for the life that you've breathed into our lungs. Thank you, Lord, for being the strength when we have none. Thank you. Lord, for giving us a chance to transform as we obey you, as we, as we find joy in that submission, God. Bless your people. In your mighty name and all of God's people said, amen. Okay, quick sidebar. How many people are still dwelling? Yes? Using the dwell app regularly? Okay, cool. Um, we need to be dwelling in the word of God. We need to be dwelling in his presence um, or else... It's just the same as jumping in a chum bucket, dripping in blood and fish viscera, and then jumping into the ocean, right? Shark week, okay? 
Yeah, yeah. We need to be dwelling so that when the enemy does come for us, we, we've got a word in our mouth and a sword in our hand and we know how to deal with him, right? Or else he's going to mop the floor with us and we're going to come in on a Sunday for a pick-me-up and we're going to feel great on Sunday and come Monday, we're going to get bodied again. Yeah? We've got to be edified by reading the word of God, getting prayed up, having that devotion time with him and we have got to be applying that to our lives by keeping our house clean. Amen? All right. My last thought on that is don't show up to a gunfight clutching a rubber chicken. Amen? Yeah. Know the word of God and get it inside of you. Yeah. All right. We're going to turn to Leviticus 10, and we're going to look at one, uh, verses 1 through 3. All right. So the first point that we're going to look at today is we're studying unauthorized fire, a study in obedience. First thing we're going to look at is how our culture impacts our obedience, who we're listening to, how that impacts how we obey God. Um, recently, a lot of people have been doing the Bible in a year, that study plan. So a bunch of us just went through Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Numbers, and people are like, yikes. <laughs> I just went through those books, and it's like, yikes, man. And I get that. There's a lot of rules. There's a lot of really bizarre details that probably some of us would rather, you know, not know about. But how things should be done and how they should not be done and the result of doing it correctly or incorrectly is important. We need to know that, right? So in Leviticus 10, 1 through 3, it says, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, put coals of fire in their incense burners and sprinkled incense over them. In this way, they disobeyed the Lord by burning before him the wrong kind of fire, different than he had commanded. So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence and burned them up, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord meant when he said, I will display my holiness through those who come near to me. I will display my glory before all people. And Aaron was silent. In Numbers 3, 4, it says, Nadab and Abihu died before the Lord when they offered strange fire before the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. The first thing that we need to realize here is that God is holy. There is a right way to approach him and there is a wrong way to approach him. And the culture around us can greatly impact how we come before him or how we feel like we should come before him. In my particular Bible, there is a survey before each chapter and there's a really great line in there before Leviticus and it said, it might've taken one night for God to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. Yeah, yeah. How it took one night for God to get the Israelites out of Egypt, but 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. Culture had a huge impact on the Israelites. And when we're reading through Exodus, and we're going through these chapters, there's purpose in that, right? In Exodus, he's leading the people out of Egypt. The last portion of Exodus, he's teaching them how to build the tabernacle where the presence of God will come and sit amongst his people. In Leviticus, it's all of the rules and regulations that the priests have to follow in order to come into the presence of God and take care of that tabernacle. Numbers is laws in regards to sanctification and purity, and Deuteronomy is further laws and sanctification and purity. 
We have people who have been captive to the Egyptians for 430 years to the day before God leads them out of Egypt. While God was leading them out of physical slavery, physical captivity, they're still in spiritual and sinful captivity. They're still in bondage to their sin, right? All God is asking for his people to understand is that he's different. He's different from what they experienced before. He's holy. And he needs them to be holy like him so that they can be in relationship. They need to obey. They need to submit, yield, and thusly transform. Amen? And by obeying his law and his word, they will remain holy in right standing with God. And by doing so, they will be able to enter into relationship with him. Think about it. At the end of Exodus, God outlines very clearly how to build the tabernacle, right? It's not a guessing game. He's outlining it very specifically. Then Moses, led by God, tells the priests how to tend the tabernacle, the place where God's holy presence is going to come and rest. Immediately after being told how to do it, they do it the wrong way, right? They blatantly disregard his law and order, and God reaches out in righteous fury and consumes them with fire. This part, this part has hung on me for so long. And then Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord has said among those who are near to me. I will be sanctified, holy, set apart from the rest, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. He just saw his sons literally physically destroyed. And he held his peace. Why is that? I think the difference between Aaron and his sons was the fear of the Lord. Yeah? In Proverbs 1-7, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of understanding. Aaron understood that proximity to God meant that he would have to remain holy. He would have to be different. He would have to live differently. He would have to be set apart. He would have to be so aware of the corrupting nature of sin, repentance, the cost of covering that sin. It was the only way that he could come into the presence of God without being destroyed. Yeah? Yeah. So let's take it back to that statement. It took one night to get God, for God to get the Israelites out of Egypt. It took 40 years to get Egypt out of the Israelites. So I'm hoping that many of you have seen the 1999 blockbuster classic, The Mummy, starring Brendan Fraser. Okay, I got one guy in the back. (laughs) If you haven't, you really need to. Okay, come on, guys. Um, But if you watch a movie like that, or if you've read anything in the Bible about Egypt, it was a crazy, crazy place. They did a lot of weird stuff there. Yeah? Yeah. And Egypt itself was a polytheistic religion. They had a whole pantheon of gods and lesser demons. So the Israelites are coming from that situation to being told that there's only one God, right? A true God. So they're dealing with that. Many of the gods that were in Egypt, each of them had a temple. And inside of those temples were priests and priestesses who their only concern was that God, small g, right? That deity, That's all that they did. And people would come and they would worship at their leisure. It was a free-for-all. 
And when you go home, you just worship however you want. Okay, you just do that thing. Some people come to church and they do that. Right? <laughs> There's definitely a way that we worship that blesses the Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. So, in Egypt, it was a free-for-all. That's what they're seeing. That's what they're seeing in the worship. Worship with orgies, worship with excess, worship by cutting, worship by self-harm and the letting of blood. Anything that you wanted to do that you thought could motivate a God, a deity, into blessing your crops, right? Getting that promotion, whatever you wanted to do. Now, does what Nahab and Abihu, does that make more sense? <laughs> Why they just thought that they could light a strange fire, an unauthorized fire before the Lord? Because they hadn't gotten out of them what needed to get out of them yet. Culture had informed their obedience. And rather than being set apart in a new way, they went right back to the old way. Back to the old understanding. And they were destroyed for offering an unauthorized fire. Never once had the Egyptians witnessed a deity reach out and consume somebody with fire. All the rules, all the regulations, all the clarity God has got to bring through these dense books, through these chapters that some of us find it very hard to make it all the way through, they all show that he is the one true God. And he's different from the, from the deities, the small g gods that they had already seen in Egypt. Amen? He's holy. He's pure. He's power. He's the ultimate creator of all. He's worthy of our undiluted praise and worship. Do you hear me this morning? The Israelites lived in a culture that celebrated so many of the things called out in the Old Testament as sinful and detestable before the Lord. They were normalized. They were seeing this all the time. And I'm sure all of us have read in Leviticus where it says, don't have intercourse with an animal, right? And we've all been like, yeah, duh. That's nasty. Like, we get it. But the Lord wasn't just putting that in there for the heck of it, right? He was putting it in there because people were doing that. Yeah? Culture in Egypt had deeply, deeply impacted the Israelites and how they understood holiness, sin, and God. Here are some examples of a few things that the Israelites would have come across in their time in Egypt that would have been common practice that are reflected in the Old Testament and things that God has called his people to avoid to remain holy before the Lord. First thing, incest. Brothers and sisters naturally were couples within a royal family to preserve a bloodline. That was very, very normal in Egypt. And what this did is there were often horrifically deformed, genetically deformed offspring that never ever made it into adolescence, let alone adulthood. Bestiality. Many of the so-called Egyptian gods were half animal hybrids constantly intermingling with humans to promote fertility and power. Homosexuality. Some of the first accounts of normalized homosexual relationships were found in Egyptian glyphics. Get this, pornography. Egyptians were a highly sexualized culture. They actually created, they were the originators of the first paper-like product, papyrus. It was them, right? Which that's Awesome, it's amazing. One of the first things they did with it was they created pornography. 
which is insane. If you think that pornography is a new thing, <laughs> nah, nah, nah. It goes all the way back. Amen? Cultic prostitution, also seen as a normal pro pro practice to motivate a deity to answer your request for a promotion or that rain to fall on your crops. Idolatry was non-existent because the gods of Egypt apparently did not care if you spread your worship around, right? Are we seeing some of the confusion? Are we seeing some of the stuff that's going on inside of the Israelites? Now, in the scripture before where it says that the fire leapt out and destroyed Aaron's two sons, but Aaron again kept his peace, I think it's because Aaron had already had a run-in with unauthorized fire. When Moses, after leading the people out of Egypt, had gone up onto the mountain to speak with God, Aaron was left to the people and their insistent yammering and crying out to, have, to be given a God to worship. And it drove him to creating the golden calf, which almost, as we know, resulted in the destruction of the entire nation. And because of Moses, they were spared. Culture impacts our obedience. Who we are listening to impacts our obedience. God is revealing his true nature, his holiness, amid all of those Levitical call-outs. He's saying, I am the Lord. I do not tolerate sin. And clearly the people, they had a really hard time understanding these four things. One, what was sinful. Two, how it made them unclean. Three, the result of coming before the Lord in that manner of uncleanliness resulted in destruction. And four, the price it cost to purify them as a people and them as a nation, which obviously, as we know, is the shedding of blood. That's why we see those themes over and over and over and over and over again in those early books, to get it through their heads, to get it through our heads. I think the reason Israelites struggled with obedience the way that they did is the same reason why we struggle with it now. We, in our time, have been domesticated by the American dream. Very much like what Zach said this morning in offering. Money, the American dream, has been the ultimate destination for us to arrive at, and our parents to arrive at, and their parents before them. It was the American dream. It's what we've all been told is the place where we need to arrive, which leads us, to, to Zach's point, to money that gets us to that American dream status, yes? Money has become our security, our provision, and the thing that we put our faith in to save us. It has become, in short, the God we serve. God needs to be where we put our security. God needs to be where our provision comes from. God needs to be the one that we put our faith in, yeah? Which leads me to my second point. Knowing who God is will impact our obedience. We don't obey God because we don't understand the nature of God. We don't obey God because we want to control God. We don't obey God because we think that God is a human, just like us. But I'll tell you that his timing is not human. His love is not like human love. 
There is no limit to his power like there is to human power. And he's not capable of making mistakes, guys. All human attributes. And I say again, Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of understanding. If we see God as this powerless grandpa in the sky, why would we ever obey him and do what it takes to be holy? We have to start seeing God for who he is. And again, I say that God is not human. Yeah? God is a being we cannot fully comprehend. So powerful, so brilliant, so pure and holy. He is actually terrifying if you really think about it. If you think of his power and his authority, what he has done and what he will do, it should, it should shake you up inside. We should feel that awe and that reverence and that fear of the Lord that leads to that proper understanding, right? We start to see the separation of, of God and human. Instead of God being like us, we need to be like God, right? Not the other way around. We need to see that. The holy reverence that he is due. If we don't have a fearful reverence of the Lord, we take advantage of him. If we do not have a fearful and holy reverence of the Lord, we take advantage of him, of his love, of his grace, and of his mercy. Just to apply, think about your boss. They have the authority and the ability and the power to raise you up, to promote you, or to fire you. It's a lot of power, right? And there's authority that comes with that, and you, you should have a healthy respect of that authority. So if that's the way that you feel about your boss, who controls your job, how should you feel about the guy who gave you life? Right? We see God, this is what is wrong with so many Christians today, is that they see the Lord as this impotent bum who just hangs out in the sky. That's what they see when they think of God. In reality, God is a raw, roaring fire of unfathomable power, both destructive and creative in his nature. He is a still, small voice, He's bright, shining like the sun, that if we were to peer into his face, we would be destroyed by the radiance. He is the being who breathed life into our lungs from his own eternal breath. He has the power to undo all of creation. That is our God. Can we make some noise this morning? Come on. And as much as that might sound scary or terrifying or as it should, he's in love with us. He loves us so much. And he chooses us every day. Because we don't understand God, we don't understand Jesus. Yeah? You've all heard this. The world wants to make Jesus out to be some powerless, spiritually anemic, limp-wristed Messiah. 
soft on sin, who's here to do PR work for how harsh God was in the Old Testament. Looking away from our sins, you know the sins I'm talking about, the ones we can't kick, and making wide the way and hang, hanging his rainbow flags on the gates of heaven. That is what the world wants Jesus to be. In reality, Jesus is holy, vibrating with power, dripping in the blood of his own sacrifice. He came to fulfill the law, not change the law. He stands before us, King of kings, Lord of lords, fire burning in his eyes and absolutely consumed with zeal for his father's house. Amen? 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 And the last thing that we don't understand because we've got everything else mixed up, we don't know God and we don't know Jesus as he is, of course, is the Holy Spirit, right? We don't understand the Holy Spirit. As the world sees it, the Holy Spirit isn't real. Or he's for years gone by. Or he's too spooky for me. Or comparatively, the tooth fairy. That is how the Lord sees the Holy Spirit. In world, what did I say? That's not how the Lord sees the Holy Spirit. It's how the world sees the Holy Spirit. What the Lord sees instead is the literal Spirit of God coming to live within us, to lead us, to guide us, to motivate us in walking in God's will, to remain in right standing, to remain holy, to be transformed so that ultimately when our flesh dies and schluffs away, it's going to be Jesus standing right where we used to be standing. Amen? Yes? You hear me? Fear of the Lord isn't terror that God is just going to smash us like an ant when we mess up, though he could. He could if he wanted to. It is not in his nature. Amen? Fear of the Lord is recognizing his power and his authority, his incredible patience and compassionate love and willingness to continue to forgive our sins as we grow up in our salvation. Yeah? He's not asking us for religion. He's asking us to recognize his godship and the natural obedience that will follow when we truly see him for who he is. The second scripture is going to be coming out of 1 Samuel 15, if you want to turn there. In 1 Samuel, Saul has been made king because, you know, the Israelites, they're literally unhappy with anything. So they're like, give us this king. That's what everybody else has. And God's like, that's not what I have for you. I'm going to be your king. I'm going to be your king. And the Israelites are like, yeah, no, we don't want that. Give us a king, a flesh and blood king. So God gives him Saul. And Saul seems kind of cool. You know, he's like hiding in a closet when they go to anoint him. That's weird. They have to like go find him and bring him out. And yeah. And he seems kind of promising because he's tall and he's good looking and, you know, he's a warrior and all that. But he very, very, very quickly falls in out of love with God and his godship and in love with himself and his, his kingship. And when we pick it up in 1 Samuel 15, 22... 
God has asked Saul to do one thing and Saul, seeing God like a human who could be like bargained with, instead of doing what God's called him to do, he does what he wants to do. And then when he realizes that he's in hot water, he's like, but I did this for you, God. And this is what Samuel, the prophet at the time, says to him. But Samuel replied, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft and stubbornness as bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. And then it goes on to say in 1 Samuel 15, 27 through 29, as Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else who is better than you. And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not human, that he should change his mind. And there we have it. The Lord is not human. Amen? Praise God, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If the Lord was human and as crappy as us most days, um, we'd be in trouble, guys. <laughs> he is God not human. He doesn't change his mind and his commands still stand. Rebellion, disobedience is as sinful as witchcraft. Stubbornness, not, not living by his commands is as bad as worshiping idols. Do you come in here some days and you're just like, man, I just want to give a gift to the Lord. I just want to give a gift to the Lord. I want to bless the Lord. Do you know how you do it? With your obedience. That's how you bless the Lord. More precious than any amount of money you could ever give. More worthy than any seminary degree you could ever complete. Submission, obedience, yielding, blessing the Lord. When we stand here and we sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, what we are actually saying is you alone, you alone, you alone are God and worthy of our praise. Your power, your authority, you can have it all. You alone are God. And then we turn around and we treat him like a human. We think that we can bar bargain with because we still have darkness in areas of our lives. Maybe you're just like, yeah, Lord, I love you so much, but I'm just not going to give up this thing. I'm not going to give up weed. I'm not going to give up alcohol. I'm not going to give up this sin nature that you're calling me out of. What we're really saying is that my love for that thing, for that vice, is greater than my love for God. That's the truth, guys. Yeah. That makes your butt pucker. Then it makes your butt pucker. It should. We love those things more than we love God. And that is sin. I love his voice. I love his praises. I love the life that he has given me. I love my salvation. 
God, I'm grateful. There's nothing worth more than that. There's nothing I would not give that I have not given already. God, I do all these other things correctly, all these other areas of my life. If I occasionally have sex with my girlfriend, all these other areas are pure, they're clean. That makes up for it. What we're really saying is that we don't understand the cancerous nature of sin. That's what we're saying. We're saying that God can have all of my life except this part of my life. This unrepentant sin over here, I'm just, it doesn't count. All the other stuff that I do or that I don't do, that makes up for this, this other part. Except sin is the cancer of our soul and it permeates every other area of our lives. And so we are a stinking pit of sin, unrepentant sin. And we're not just compromising anymore on the one thing. We're compromising on all the things. Yeah? Lord, I know that you told me that I've got to forgive people if I want to be forgiven, but you don't understand what this person did to me. If you had been through what I'd been through, then, then you would understand. What we're really saying is that we know better than God. We're smarter than him. We've suffered more than he's suffered. And that he was made in our image, not we in his. How do we understand who God is? The reality of God, right? Because we've, we've heard some things that are clearly not who God is. How do we understand who God is? The, the literal word theology, if you've ever heard somebody use that word, theology, it means what we think about God. And what we think about God is really important, guys. Really important. In the Greek, theos means God, and logi means study or knowledge or understanding. God is not just up there hiding from us. He's deeply invested in having a relationship with us, a personal individualized relationship with every single one of us. And that's why we have the word of God. And to know him, we have to know how he feels about sin. Like I said, sin is the cancer of our soul. He will not tolerate it. And that he loves us so much that he sent his son to die for us so that sin could be covered and we could spend the rest of our lives in union, growing up into our salvation in the presence of God. Your relationship with, your knowledge of God cannot be secondhand. Are you hearing me this morning? I can't have a knowledge of God for you. I can't have a revelation of God for you. You need to have your own personal relationship with God. You need to know who he is for yourselves. God is not like us. We are like him in that we desire a relationship and community and require personal time to truly know each other. Yes? We can't expect to have a relationship with somebody if we never see them, if we never talk to them, right? If we know God's heart and what grieves him and ultimately what sin does to us, this becomes about so much more than rules and regulations. Obedience becomes the natural response to God, who is so worthy. We become like him and we begin to want what he wants. You hear me this morning? I'm seeing some eyes closed. Are we sleeping this morning? 
Which brings me to my last point on what impacts our obedience to God. Our flesh impacts our obedience to God. In the beginning, it says that God created us in his image. And as we know, God is one in three, three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we too are three in one. Has everybody heard this before? Mind, will, and emotions. That's your flesh. You too are three in one. Does anybody feel relief from that? Like how out of control they feel sometimes? It's because there's three things going on in the inside of you. Four, if you have the Holy Spirit. Yeah? Three parts. Mind, will, and emotion. Unlike God, whose three parts seamlessly work together in unity all the time, perfectly, seamlessly, our three parts are insane. They're crazy. There's no, it's, it's like a clanging gong inside of there. Everybody's screaming for control. It's a mess. That's why we call it the flesh. Before salvation, we were literally feral animals. That's like all we had going on in the inside of us was those three things, just feral animals. Then the Holy Spirit comes. Holy Spirit comes, and that's what helps change those three parts on the inside of us. Starts regulating, right? Starts laying down the law. Starts breaking the mold, getting everybody in line. That's what the Holy Spirit is for. Before salvation, before the Holy Spirit, our flesh, nutso. And the world around us is just telling us, feed your flesh. Do you, boo-boo. Feed your flesh. And that's the mess that we have in America 2023. Statistically, one out of two marriages ends in divorce. And it's not even one out of two. It's like 52%. 52% of marriages end in divorce. Having children and marriage have officially been decoupled. You don't need to be married to have kids anymore. That's not a thing. People are actually avoiding marriage. They can have children that they'll share. That's, that's, the, that's the thought. That's the pervasive feeling around marriage and children. Gender has become something that is not designated by genetics and anatomy anymore, but rather transformed into something you can pick and choose and change any day of the week based on your feelings, your feelings. And instead of culture standing up and saying with science that this is actually not a reality, science has shifted, science has changed. It's a narrative. Instead of, of treating what appears to be some serious confliction mentally, they're supporting somebody cutting their body to ribbons and saying, that's, if that's what you have to do to be well, then do it. And I just want to say that the generation that this is affecting the most is Gen Z. And 70% of Gen Z claim to have a to being in a constant mental health crisis and these are people who are making permanent decisions about their person things that they cannot undo 
Lastly, we have an education system that says it's their right to teach our children about their sexuality and the sexuality of others through books and television and classroom learning. Our children are being groomed to believe that first they are a sexual being instead of first they are a spiritual being. Amen? And however they want to express their sexuality is good. Even if this means in sharing a relationship with an adult, in a sexual relationship with an adult, learning about surgical sex changes, having an abortion, and never ever having to tell a parent or a guardian about these. Teachers are being told not to include parents in this. All, yes, all of these things are evil. I see the devil, and this is his playground. He's just having a, a, a great time. All of these situations stem from people's mind, will, and emotions being completely out of control. Can I get an amen? And then we get saved. And we let the Holy Spirit do the unifying work over our mind, our will, and our emotions. And as they come under the blood of Christ, which causes us to think the way that Christ does, to know the truth and desire the things that Christ does, and to have control over our emotions in the way that Christ does. And if we don't do these things, then we settle for habsies, right? We gotta let him come in and have it all, or you're gonna be looking at a half and half situation. We make up our minds, if we're doing this half and half thing, that God is far off and he's not who he says he is, so we have a, you know, a lukewarm understanding of who God is and Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So our, our understanding of him is incomplete and that can lead to deconstruction and heresy and all kinds of really not fun stuff. That's our mind, our mind being unsettled. Our will is mostly our own. Ultimately, we wanna do whatever we wanna do. We cherry pick the word of God, God bless you, and avoid the stuff that tries to override what we personally want, right? And lastly, emotion. Many of us are emotionally sick people. I hope this is a wake-up call because this, is, this was such a wake-up call to me recently. And instead of responding out of emotions controlled by the Holy Spirit, we respond out of insecurity, anxiety, hurt, feelings, things that we've made up in our mind, paranoia, God has more for us than that, right? Who wants more? <laughs> Everybody get your hand up. Who wants more? Yes? We have to be obedient in letting him saturate our flesh, breaking down those primal aspects of ourselves to become holy citizens in control by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now check this out. When we think of the original sin, Eve in the garden, we think of disobedience. Eve was clearly not fully sure of who God was and his authority. And this led her to being impacted by the serpent, encouraging her to let her mind, will, and emotions have control. Yeah? Let's take a look. So this is about Genesis 3. And the serpent says, Did God really say to you that you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? The serpent makes Eve question God. Did he really say, surely he wouldn't keep any good thing from you? God wouldn't do that, right? 
he is saying to her, challenging her, that God is actually greedy, and that he's keeping something from her and Adam. He's appealing to her emotions, and she's triggered by the serpent saying what he's saying, and she feels hurt. She feels hurt that God would keep something like that from her. And she says, of course we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the one tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or touch it. If you do, you will die. Immediately the serpent says, you won't die. You won't die. God's a liar. You won't die. So he appeals to her will to reject the will of God. You won't die. That's not true. Don't submit to his will, your will. Do you want it? Take it, right? God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. And the woman was convinced. The serpent convinces her mind. Her mind is convinced. It's made up. And there you have it, stage by stage, the manipulation of all of our inner parts, mind, will, and emotion. So how do we overcome these literal titans that are going on in the inside of us? One, by recognizing that they're there. Yeah? That's, that's the first part is recognizing that there's three parts on the inside of us. I feel such relief, like knowing that. I was like, I'm a crazy person. And then I heard that there's those three parts inside of us. And I was like, I'm not a crazy person. How are we, how are any of us keeping our poo-poo in a group poo? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeesh. Recognizing these inner aspects of our human nature, which are designed by God. They're good. They're just out of control. By letting the Holy Spirit come and truly heal every part of us, holding nothing back and being honest about the areas that we're struggling with. Because like Micah said in Team Rally a week ago, there might be one of those three things that's more powerful than the other ones for you, yeah? My emotions are more powerful than the other ones. My will and my mind are submitted to, to Jesus. It's that emotion one that's just like a freak and needs to, to get in line. The last thing is with awareness, prayer, and accountability, our flesh can be brought into perfect alignment with the mind of Christ, the will of God, and the emotions of the Holy Spirit. Amen? With awareness, prayer, and accountability, our flesh can be brought into perfect alignment with the mind of Christ, the will of God, and the emotions of the Holy Spirit. Amy, if you want to come on up here. When it comes to obeying God, we need to get the lay of the land culturally for what has impacted our faith and our understanding of God and obedience, yes? yes. So we have to look at what we've been trained up in, what we've been taught, what we've come to believe that is contrary to God's will. It's informed how we live, it's informed how we obey, how we don't obey. By the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the solid community, right here, guys, solid faith community, we can unlearn all of the junk 
that has been crippling us. Amen? Secondly, we need to know who God is. We do that by informing our inner self again with the Word of God and being in relationship with God through prayer, devotion, and worship. What are the three things? Prayer, devotion, and worship. Lastly, we've got to get the stuff that is going cray cray on the inside of us under control. We need to look at the three aspects of our flesh and we need to see which of the three is the one that is going ham all the time. Because if you pray about it, there's probably one that's gonna be more out of control than the rest, yeah? And with that awareness, we have to go to the feet of Christ, pray again for his infilling, for the renewing of our minds, to know his truth, his power, and also by bringing others in to keep us accountable for that change. Yeah? We want to think his thoughts. We want to control our emotions, not our emotions controlling us. And we want to crucify our flesh by choosing the will of God, no matter how challenging that might be. Amen? If you'd stand this morning. Lastly, I just want to say this over our community. Um, This week has been very challenging for my family. And uh, death has been a little more present in our lives than it generally is on a daily basis. And as tough as that has been, um, I got to be with my grandfather when he left a body that was failing him and in so much pain. And I got to see him go into the presence of God. And I know his pain is over and he's been given a brand new body with no cancer and no pain. And this morning when we were worshiping, he was worshiping with us. He was in heaven. He was just worshiping God. But the reality of that is that not all of us are guaranteed 87 years like he was. Death could come today, tomorrow, in a year, in 15 years. You could live to be 100, I don't know, but, but you don't know either. <laughs> and some of us, I think we walk around and there's some sin just kicking around inside of us. And we're just like, I'll deal with it later. But what if there's no later, <laughs> guys? What if there's no later? My hope is that we as a people, when we come before God, that there would be no unrepentant sin inside of us. Yeah? Whenever that is, whenever it comes, whenever it happens, there would be no unrepentant sin inside of us. None inside of me, none inside of you. So that we can stand before God covered in the blood of Jesus, constantly repenting, confessing, and being restored. Amen? 
as we worship, as we take the next few minutes to worship God and to pray, I want you to truly contemplate standing before God in this moment. Is there malice in your heart? Is there unrepentant sin? Is there forgiveness that you have not let come to pass? Is there somebody you've wounded, you've offended? Are you offended at God? (laughs) The altar is open and I encourage you, I implore you, I beg you that if you have unrepentant sin in your life, if there's one of those three aspects inside of you that's been going crazy, I encourage you to just come forward, fall on your face before the Lord, and repent. Confess, repent, and be restored. Amen? I'm going to pray over us. Jesus, thank you for your presence, God. Thank you for being with us, Lord no matter the season that we're in. God, thank you for grace. Thank you for mercy. Thank you for forgiveness. We love you, Lord. God, I just pray this morning that as your Holy Spirit is ministering to everyone in this room, from the drum cage to the AV, from the left to the right, and those in the mother's room, God, I pray that you're stirring up inside of us those areas of darkness that we have not let you come into, Lord. And I pray that you would give us the courage to repent this morning, God. We love you, Lord. And we live to see you glorified. In your mighty name I pray. Amen.